Welcome to Purpose House Church. Today you'll be hearing a powerful message from our latest series. Let's listen in now. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Can everybody hear me? Amen, amen, amen. I want everybody to stand up. There's something that we do in youth that you're going to do tonight too because youth is just going to be in the big sanctuary tonight, all right? All right, so we're not going to have no pulpit. We're not going to have anything, but, but something that the Lord put on my heart to do in the youth uh, because, um, one, to deal with distractions because when you try to teach teenagers, they always put their head down on their phone. And so um, God says, teach them how to honor my presence. And um, he told me to buy this prayer shawl. And every time that you see me come up with this prayer shawl, they all sigh. Oh, he's going to be praying now. And I said, but they need to learn how to honor God's presence before we play any games, before we hear any word, before God does anything. We need to set an atmosphere that gets us aligned with the kingdom and the heaven of God. So I want you to pray with me tonight as we, before we even receive the word, we're going to thank God for it. We're going to align ourselves with it and we're going to prepare to receive what thus saith the Lord, okay? All right, God, I just thank you on tonight. I praise you for every single person that's here, every single person that's watching. God, we say we come and we place every distraction before your feet. God, we come, we place every worry, every fear, every anxiety. God, anything that is not like you, that is hindering us from hearing you, God, we lay it at your feet right now. God, we prostrate our minds to hear what the Lord says on tonight. Lord, we come before you and we say thank you. God, we thank you that you are on time God God we thank you that you listen to the cries of our heart and you send angels to minister to us to carry us to comfort us to be with us and so God we say tonight is for you we say do what you came to do God speak how you came to speak God be the God that we serve, the God that we portray, the God that we believe in. God, we say thank you. Thank you for your goodness. If you do nothing else, we already experienced enough. So God, we love you, we thank you, we worship you, and we prepare to receive what you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Y'all can be seated. Thank you so much. Y'all know as a youth pastor, this is major for me. This is major. I've been working towards this every Wednesday night. I've been getting ready. I said, God, I'm about to do it tonight, Lord. I'm about to get it tonight, God. And, and, and so when, when, the, when, um, when Pastor Jason told me that I'll be speaking tonight, I was like, oh, I'm just going to do week one whatever series I'm doing in October. And the Lord said, no. So I said, okay. So you're going to get some fresh manna tonight. Amen. Before I do that, I have to give, now that I have y'all attention, I want to I wanna give honor to where honors due to pastors Jason and Melissa. I want, I want to thank them for stewarding this house and for seeing me. And what I want to, because I, I want you to understand, what I mean by that is, when I was on staff as the creative director, then as the IT director, then as Harold, the member of the team, then as youth pastor, 
One thing Pastor Jason always said to me, anytime we, we met, he says, Harold, I know what you're capable of. And I thank you for serving at the capacity that you're serving at. Because what you're capable of does not go unnoticed. I know you can preach. I know you can teach. I know you can do all that. But thank you for serving. That's a leader who sees you. And I honor God and I honor Pastor Melissa for seeing me. Because there's times when people will see what you do and who you are. And they'll be like, man, they ain't using you like they should be using you. They'd be like, they'd be like, man, you know, if you just come over here, dog, you'll blow up. And they'd be like, they'd be like, man, you know, why are you still there, man? But the Holy Spirit, the flesh will be like, you know what, you're probably right, but my spirit says, you're right where I planted you. You're right where I planted you. And not only that, you're under some leaders who see you. You don't have to talk to them every day. They see you, they're praying for you, and for that, Pastor Melissa, Pastor Jason, I say thank you, and I honor you. Thank you. Um, that definitely didn't go how I planned. I was just going to say, give it up for Pastor Jason and Melissa. But I just feel like God wanted to, to do that. And so let me give you some background to this message on tonight. I was told that I'll be giving this message, and so... God has been working on me. How many times you know when, when the Lord wants you to do something, he works it in you before he gets it out of you? And so the Lord's been working in me. He has me in schools. For those of you who don't know, um, I work in the school district uh, with special education students. And um, that has taught me patience. And um, he's, he's been, I've been working with, with, with youth at the um, Illinois Youth Center in Harrisburg. Praise God, 10 baptisms last week. And so, you know, he has me counseling, you know, people in the military and people outside the military that's, you know, that's calling me. And, and then we're, we're doing youth. We're doing youth pastoring. And, and that we take, we take very seriously. And so God has been teaching me. And I recently became certified as a mental health coach, um, specializing in, in marriage and family and in addiction recovery. And I said, God, this is this, this not me. <laughs> I said, God, how am I going to make money with this? <laughs> and the Lord says, it's not to make money. It's to set people free. And so the Lord has been taking me on a crash course in soul care and mental health and preparation for this message. And the reason I share all that with you is to say, I'm on assignment tonight. And I don't want you to not respond the way the Lord wants you to respond. Because your response will determine your level of freedom. And so I don't want you to, to just say, oh, we're going to go to another message. All right? All right, let's begin. All right, amen. And so before I give you a, 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 the title, I like to keep the suspense, especially when I'm dealing with the youth. They always want to know, what are we talking about? What are we doing? What game are we playing? When are you going to be done? Why you ain't started yet? <laughs> and so I'm going to give you all the title uh, a little bit later, but I wanted to start off with a narrative. I've talked to counsel, discipled a lot of people over the years, and I had a number of stories lined up, put them in the right places, and the Lord was like, no, I'll start like this. So I said, okay. And so here's the narrative. There's this kid. He grew up poor. 
like a lot of kids around him. He grew up with a fa- he, he grew up without a father present. He saw the effects of drugs and alcohol on his mother. He saw domestic abuse between his parents to the point that he saw his mom slam through a kitchen table, breaking it in half. At the age of eight, he starts dumpster diving to collect cans and bottles to sell for cash. At nine, he, his sibling, and his mom are homeless, gets kicked out of all the local homeless shelters because of their mom's drinking problem. He's molested at age 11 by two older women um, that lived in an apartment that, that, and babysit them. He experienced the police kicking their door in in search of drugs and weapons because his relatives have been known to, to keep them there. He was, given the first, he was given his first gun at age nine and told if his dad ever touches his mom again, shoot him. He, was to grow, he had to grow up quick to protect and take care of himself, his younger sibling, and his mother. In fifth grade, he and his sibling is taken from their mom to live with an aunt. In middle school, he, is, he and his sibling is split up. He goes to live with his, his sibling goes to live with their dad, and he lives with his mom in a house that is infested with rats, that you can hear them in the walls and eating from the kitchen trash at night. By the time he is in high school, he is working three jobs, partying every weekend, spending as little time at home as he can to escape his home life. He is in three shootouts and suffers from mild PTSD before the age of 18. By the grace of God, this young man makes it to college and gets married while he's in college. His marriage starts off horrible and his wife is threatening to leave him after only three years of marriage because of his porn addiction, his financial problems, his anger issues, and and all that accompanies it. On the outside, he's the model, spirit-filled Christian man who has been discipled, He's he's led Bible studies. He serves faithfully at at their church. And he has a wonderful wife and kids. But because because his wife is fed up to the point of divorce, he doesn't want to be seen as a failure in the eyes of of his kids and fellow church folk who look up to him. He is now having suicidal ideations. He's going through life trying to hold everything together long enough to build up the courage to do what he will ultimately regret. He increases his life insurance policy. He begins to hang out with people that that really means a lot to him. And in the midst of his planning to take this moment, his wife has a dream. Afterwards, she tells him that if he gets help, both from the church and a therapist, that she'll stay. But if he doesn't, she will expose him for for the addicted, condescending, manipulative, narcissist person that he is. This devastated him because the whole point of him planning to do this was to leave without anyone ever knowing what was really going on with him in in hopes that his wife would have enough shame and guilt from his death that she would never tell the truth about him and their marriage. Now, he is left with a decision. Do we get help and become vulnerable? Or does he move up his plans? 
how many would agree that this dude is going through some pretty mental warfare? Amen? And he probably needs a little bit more than prayer and deliverance, right? Right. And so, what do you think he did? It's a rhetorical question. Don't answer. You got to tell kids that because they, they just spur out stuff. So, what do you think he did? If you said get help, then you would be right. Because the dude that I just told you about was me. That was me. And I have been sent on assignment to share that there's hope in Jesus. There's hope and there's a path. What God taught me is that there's mental damage that can only be healed through the process and the spirit of counseling. And so I want us to turn to 2 Corinthians 6, 16. New Living Translation. Pastor Melissa converted me. (laughs) It says, and what union can there be between God's temple and idols? For we are the temple of the living God. It says some other stuff too, like live, that God will live among us and walk among us and be their God and, and we will be his people. But I really want you to understand that we are the temple of the living God. He says that you are the temple of the living God. Then if you turn to 1 Chronicles 28, the Lord gave me the title of my message in 1 Chronicles. I knew it was God because nobody camps out in 1 Chronicles. <laughs> 1 Chronicles 28, verse 9 and 10 says this. And Solomon, my son, I'm not talking about you, son, but I'm watching. Um, learn to know the God of your ancestors intimately. How many of you know our children need to know the God we serve? And not just know him, but know him intimately. All right, that ain't even my message. But um, worship and serve him with your whole heart and a willing mind. For the Lord sees every heart. He sees every heart, and he asks you to worship him with a willing mind. He knows every plan and thought that you have. If you seek him, you will find him. But there's a warning. If you forsake him, he will reject you forever. Verse 10 is where my message is coming from. So take this seriously. The Lord has chosen you to build a temple We are his temples. Be strong and do the work. Be strong and do the work. Say it. Be strong and do the work. My title tonight, if you have already guessed it, is do the work. I want to talk and speak and preach and teach and whatever, however the Lord moves, about doing the work. And my assignment is not only to encourage you, but to show you what it means to do the work. The work in your own lives, one. The work in the lives of your marriage and relationships, two. And most importantly, doing the work in for the next generation. Because, listen, the only reason I was able to share the abbreviated story of my life with you 
It's because with, with, without any shame, without any fear, without any breaking down, it's because I have done the work. I've done the work. I've been delivered. I've been through inner healing. I've been through three years of counseling and therapy. I have done the work. And some of us is afraid to do the work. But if you don't do the work, you can't expect something that you're not willing to work for. And so I want to share how to do the work. Isaiah 9, 6 says this. We know this is a very famous verse. For unto us a child is born, a son is given to us. The government will rest upon his shoulders and he will be called, Tina, wonderful counselor. God said, my son is coming and he will be called wonderful counselor. The first title given to Jesus from the prophet, prophet Isaiah was wonderful counselor. And the Lord spoke to me. He says, he says, son, if I sent Jesus as a counselor, don't you think he was sent to a people who need counseling? <laughs> he ain't just coming for, as a counselor for a nice title. He's like, look, man, he's, he in heaven. Look, man, these folks need counseling. You're going you gonna to have to put on flesh and go help these mugs out. Because if they keep going the way that they're going, we ain't going to know them no more. And so he came as a wonderful counselor. And Isaiah 11:2 says, And the spirit of the Lord will rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. One of the seven spirits of the Lord, which is referenced in Revelation chapter 4, is described here. It's the spirit of counsel. A lot of us have never experienced good quality counseling. You can go to church, you can serve God, you can be spirit-filled, speaking in tongue, up in your Roshanda, and your mental space is all jacked up. That was me. I was in church serving, teaching, preaching, addicting, narcissist, couldn't even look my wife in the eye sometime because my mental space was not surrendered to God. And so tonight will be your invitation to deal with it. Pastor Jason said it on Sunday. He said, deal with it. He says, we know you've been hurt. Deal with it. Because when I've been praying, the Lord has been showing me that he's concerned with the mental state of the believers of this house. I said, God... We didn't talk to them. Don't talk to me about it. Because I am very good at one thing. I'm talking, my wife will tell you, I'm so good at this. I don't think there's nobody else who's better than me at this. Aaron, the best thing I'm good at is minding my business. <laughs> I love to mind my business. So when the Lord starts talking, talking to me about other folks, I'm like, look, Lord, if you show me, I'm praying. I ain't saying because <laughs> I mind my business but, but the Lord says he is, he is concerned with the mental state of believers and I've been fasting and praying this last few months and there's been a couple of people in the body who's been fasting and praying with me and the Lord says tonight he wants to break the stronghold of Christian lunacy what is that? 
God said, there's Christian lunatics, mentally crazy, functioning, crazy, praying for folks, crazy, preaching, crazy. How do I know? I was one of them. Crazy as all get out. And God says, I'm concerned with that. And we're going to deal with it. Hence the spirit of counseling. So, if you're afraid of counseling, I want to tell you this. There's a dimension of Jesus that you have not experienced yet. Because he says, I am the wonderful counselor. So if you've never experienced the spirit of counseling, then there's a dimension of his personhood that you've yet to experience. Because he is the counselor. And so, counseling is our portion. And here's why. Because counseling takes pain and converts it into power. Because everyone has pain. We all speak pain language. You know, the saying hurt people, hurt people. Well, hurt people know other hurt people too. And when they get together, it's a whole world of hurt. (laughs) And so, but your pain, it has to be interpreted, it has to be decoded, and it has to be converted. And the only way that you can do that is if you have an encounter with a counselor. You need counseling. And one of my favorite things about counseling, when it's done right, is that it takes the pain and it makes it power because the majority of experiences that I have, Tina, I don't know, they might be different with you, but when the majority of my experiences is, it's not so much to diagnose, but to employ active listening. And the importance of active listening, the biggest tool that a counselor has is the discernment and the power an anointing to active listen. Why? Because most of, and this is, this, I, 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 feel, I felt it tonight, and Pastor Michael prayed it, and we got, most of your pain is because you've not been heard. Most of your pain that you're dealing with is because you've been raised, you've been taught, you, you agreed with, you've been taught that you're not worthy of being heard. You've been taught that you need to stay in your lane, that you need to know your place, that nobody want to be worried about your problems. Stop talking to everybody about what you're going through. Suck it up, deal with it, move on. God has bigger things to worry about. You've been taught that, you've accepted that, you profess that, but when, when, uh, when, there's an un, when, when, when pain happens, your soul takes note. More importantly, your heart takes note. When something traumatic happens to you, your mind takes notes. Ooh, I don't like that. I don't like how they said that. I don't like how they looked at me. It takes notes. You might think you got over it or you survived it, but your heart takes note. And when, you, when you've been through pain and it's not been dealt with, it becomes your meditations. You replay it over and over again in your mind. And then you start to just see it in everybody you interact with. Because that pain is not dealt with and that pain becomes your filter and that pain is now there and everyone who is is attached to you has to deal with that pain. But God wants to convert that pain to power. And so most of the time I've seen that when, when you finally talk to someone, when you finally talk to a counselor, I'm sure, you know, people in here who, who, who deals with counseling will tell you a lot of times... This is the first time they've ever been allowed to vent their heart. 
It's the first time they've been allowed to vent their mind. More importantly, it's the first time they've been allowed to vent an experience because they've carried it. They've, they've, they've um, lived with it, but they never vented it. Let people know how it made them feel. Let people know what it did to them. Let people know why they're stuck. And so the unheard thing, Proverbs eleven fourteen says, when there is no counsel, people fail. And if you're a person that's prone to fall, and let me just give you this nugget, it's probably because of the quality of the counseling in your life. If you got poor counseling, you make poor decisions. And if you make poor decisions, you're prone to falling and failing. And so the Bible says where there's no counsel, people fail. But biblical counseling is disruptive. A good conversation with someone with the spirit of counsel on them will release the power of why. I was talking to a friend, and we were, we were both in the mental health space, and he said, man, you know, the most powerful thing we could do uh, with believers is ask them why. Why do you feel that way? Why do you think that? Why did you respond the way that you did? Why are you even talking to me? Because counsel will release the power of why that will put your situation in a perspective that God can show you what's really going on. And so, how do I know this? Proverbs 19.21 says, There are many plans in a man's heart. Nevertheless, the Lord's counsel will stand. That will stand. And then Proverbs 15.22 in the ASV version. This is my favorite. When I read this, I about lost it. Like, no lie. Proverbs 15.22 in the American Standard Version says, Where there is no counsel, purposes are disappointed. But in the multitude of counselors, there are established, which means part of your life purpose will be, will be uh, uh, released or funneled as you, are, as you are counseled. If you refuse to be counseled, there are dimensions of your personal purpose that you will never see because all your potential must be externalized. It must be uh, talked out. It must be, uh, become actualized through the word of counsel. Because a counselor will see something in you that you don't see in yourself and speak it and release it. That's what a biblical counselor would do. Y'all agree we need counseling? I'm trying to convince y'all that you need to see a counselor. Like for real. Like I'm, I'm talking, I'm, but I'm pretty, I'm, I'm, you need to see a counselor. And so <laughs> um, when David says in First Chronicles to be strong and do the work, you have to allow God to educate you concerning where you're going and the process uh, uh, concerning his idea of your future. You have to understand that because when you see a counselor, it's like a forensic specialist that's listening to you and going inside uh, of your life and finding out where, where the enemy is, is, has built up strongholds in your mind and in your emotions and in how you was up, uh, your upbringing. And, and, and it goes in and it finds it and it tears that thing down so that God can come in and say, okay, this is how I really see you. That's what counseling would do. And do you think that... Um, so one thing I want to say, because I was having a conversation, and I, and I thought it would be pertinent to say this, that demonization has nothing to do with who's your Lord and Savior. I just want to say that. And Pastor Jason, I told him after the service Sunday, I said, Pastor Jason, you just preached the message. I'm going to just go up on Wednesday and say, hey, play that again. Amen. Let's eat. But, <laughs> but what I want you to understand is, if you, how do I say this? Anything that, that 
anything that, that is, um, that you listen to, that is, give, that is driving you, that is speaking to you, that is influencing you, anything that is doing that, that is not God, you are, your personality is not surrendered in that area. And that's what demonization is. You could, be, you could be demonized by things because you refuse to let them go. And so God is saying that, at least to me, because when I was going through my mental issues, I would come to the altar. You know how you, I'm not going to assume anything. I'm going to just tell you how I am. I will come to the altar and there'll be somebody praying. And I'm like, mm, they praying, but I ain't finna tell them all my business. But uh, I'll come to them and say, hey, pray, I'm, I'm dealing with something. And it's something that, uh, uh, that I really need God to take care of. And uh, uh, he, what is it, man? Just pray, man. Let the Lord lead you. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and one day, the, 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 the Lord convicted me. He says, if you can't identify the problem, how can you expect to be free from it? And I said, okay. He says, he says you're not a saint. He says, you know that I'm watching you and you're still doing it. So why are you afraid to tell them? I said, okay, Jesus. And so I went up to the man. I said, all right, man, I'm dealing with this addiction problem and I need to be delivered. Can you pray and, and I'll be set free? And he says, he says, come out in the name of Jesus. I'll bind that thing. And I just, ah! <laughs> and I said, yes, Lord, never going to do it again. And he says, yeah, that's what you think. And what the Lord has to teach me is that the power, the motivator, the, 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 the demon, yeah, that left. But the damage that it caused in your life, that's still there. That you have to deal with. That you're going to have to work on. You may have cast that thing out. You may have gotten rid of it. But you've been walking with that thing for years, decades. You've been in relationship after relationship, job after job, church after church. And you think just casting them out on the altar going to fix that? He said, you got to go see a counselor. I said, man, I ain't, man you, it was hard enough to tell the prayer partner my business. You want me to go tell a stranger? <laughs> and so God is teaching me that, that we need counseling. And so um, my first point is that you need to do the work in your own life first. Do the work for your own life. Do the work for your own life. And real quickly, God's been dealing with me concerning cognitive dissonance. Say cognitive dissonance. That's right. That's what he's been dealing with me with. Because cognitive dissonance occurs when a person's behavior and beliefs do not complement each other or when they hold two contradictory beliefs. Follow me. Biblically, this is called hypocrisy. It's called hypocrisy. And the Lord is showing me. He says... Uh, what that means is that I believe something, I hear something, I think a principle is right, but I refuse to live by it. Not only do I refuse to live by it, but I will hold other people accountable to that principle and that belief system and not myself. I will hear a message, say that it's good, look to my neighbor, you heard that, and go out and do my dirt. That's cognitive dissonance. And God is saying there's too many people that, that this, this mental Health issue is causing them to go crazy. Why? Because when you're dealing with cognitive dissonance, you have to master two different people. So if you've mastered church life, and then you've mastered sin life, 
And now you've got two contradictory lives and belief systems living in the same temple that's supposed to honor God. You will go crazy. But check this out. There's some of us in here that's living three, four, five, six lives. We got a life that we live at work. We got one that we live at home. We got one that we show at church. We got one that we go on vacation with. <laughs> you know, <laughs> we got all of these different lives and personalities. And, you know, since the pandemic, boy, we was on social media with 20 lives. Boy, we was on IG one way, Facebook another way, and Twitter getting it in. <laughs> and God is saying, when you, what this does is it's caused mental brain damage in your mind because you were meant to be a one person. And when you're trying to master two different people, three different people, four different people, you are inflicting on yourself spiritual and mental schizophrenia. And you're wondering why people calling you crazy and don't want to be around you. Because when all the people that know the different parts of you get in the same room and you're trying to be like, what well, I'm going to be, well, I'm going to be the funny Herald, I'm going to be the serious Herald, I'm going to be the military Herald, I'm going to, you know what, forget all of y'all, ah! they were like, oh my gosh, he didn't have a mental breakdown. It's because you couldn't decide which part of you you wanted to be in the moment. And so God allowed them to see the real you. Boy, that boy crazy. That's really what cognitive dissonance will lead to. And so James 1, 6 and 8, 6 through 8 says, but let him act in faith, doubting nothing. For who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. Verse 8, this is what I want you to understand. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways. When you live a life prolonged with prolonged cognitive dissonance, you can't have stability. It's impossible. Because the, 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 stable, the stable you can only function if you being that person. But the moment you have to be someone else, it's unstable again. And so, <clears throat> this type of lifestyle prevents you from being long-term in anything. When things get too vulnerable, you want to leave. When you feel too exposed, you want to run. When you're functioning, you, 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 you're literally a functioning lunatic. Functioning crazy person. And we use it as a slur. Oh, that boy crazy. No, he really is. <laughs> she really is. And so we have to do the work. You are functioning, but there's a spirit of, of, of rejection and abandonment in you so, so that that thing has to be confronted with a spirit of counsel so that you can be free and be the one that God calls you to be. We need to do the work in our own lives. Amen? Next, we need to do the work in our marriages and relationships. Okay, babe, I promise where she at. I'm not going to embarrass us. I promise. With that being said, <laughs> Hebrews 5, 12 through 14, let's read this. You have been believers so long now that you ought to be teaching others. Instead, you need someone to teach you again the basic things about God's word. You are like babies who need milk and cannot eat solid food. For someone who lives on milk is still an infant and doesn't know how to do what is right. 14, solid food is for those who are mature, who through training have the skill to recognize the difference between right and wrong. So many marriages are falling apart because we don't know or refuse to do the work 
to get to the next level of intimacy in our relationships, but most importantly, intimacy with the Lord. That's why one minute, he the man of your dreams. I'm talking, he can't do no wrong. Something the Lord has been putting on my heart and mind during this time of prayer and fasting is that there's relationships, marriages, who are, you are married to someone with arrested development. Arrested development. If you are rejected, if you are abandoned, if you had an er, at, at an early age and, and you, more lo, you, you more than likely learn to cope with it by leaving quickly. You leave quickly. That's why one minute, yeah, yeah, he the man of your dreams, you can't do nothing, and, and can't nothing come between y'all. He's your ride or die, baby. I love you even when your head napping, your breath stink, and I want you. But the moment he forgot to check in because he lost track of time, or you don't feel pursued by him, and you feel like he's not paying you no attention, you're ready to leave that joker and call him everything but a child of God. That's the little girl that's showing, who's been rejected. And abandoned. But Phyllis, I'm not going to let you all off the hook either. Amen. Because I despise, I'm so tired. I feel like Pastor Jason sometimes when, a, when one of my friends or a colleague calls me and tells me what they're dealing with with their marriage. And I'm saying, man, that was stupid. I just want to punch you in your throat. <laughs> and because, here's why. I'm so tired of seeing grown, moody, emotional, double-minded men that want to give they lady the world. One moment. Don't want to live without her. They, that's the bestie for the resty. But let that nappy-haired girl at work give you a compliment and strike that ego of yours. Boy, you ready to upgrade in a minute. You say, oh, I ain't felt that way in a while. My wife ain't doing it right no more. I want a new one. And, 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 but what that woman doesn't know is that you are crazy. <laughs> Bro, I'm serious. You are, I told my, one of my friends called me. I'm sorry if he's watching. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to say your name. Um, but he called me and uh, he was telling me what was going on. And how his wife was responding and why she was mad at him. I said, brother, I'm, I love you. I've known you for a long time. And let me just be frank with you. Man, you crazy. Like, no, you're not just crazy. You are crazy. Because this, we got men that will not hold doors off hinges at home. And be crying in the corner the next moment that they didn't get that promotion. I'm talking emotional. I'm talking arrested development. I'm talking that little boy in you that didn't get your way, that got you throwing 40-year-old temper tantrums. <laughs> and God is saying, we need to deal with that. We need to do the work in our marriages so that we can live a life. Man, I told y'all I was on assignment. But the worst part of this is the Lord had to teach me. The worst part of this is not that your marriage sucks because you don't like each other and you're still with each other. Um, and I'm not pointing nobody out. I'm looking straight at the camera up there. And, uh, <laughs> and But the Lord says when you have arrested development and when you can't function in your own marriage, your worship is affected. And here's why. Because everything that's... Because... 
You've been developed, you've been trained, you've been programmed in an environment of rejection and abandonment and abuse. And so it's a survival tactic. You don't trust anyone. You don't trust what anyone says and you don't trust what anyone does. And that includes God. I mean, the last time that you trusted a man, he abused you, rejected you, and then abandoned you. So the words, when God says, I have loved you with an everlasting love, that don't hit the same anymore. And then, or, or, maybe, or maybe this is you, it, it, it triggers when, when the Lord says that all of his promises are yes and amen, and that activates the little boy in you who, who had memories of broken promises from your father, and so you didn't know how to trust that verse, and you can't trust God. You said, I want to. But I, I don't know how. I've never had it before. I've never experienced it. And so, God, I hear the songs. I'm singing the words. I'm reciting the verses. But if I'm honest, I don't know how to believe this. I don't know how to receive this. And most importantly, I can't even live it out. Because when you have arrested development, write this down. You stop growing at the point and age of your greatest traumatic experience. You stop growing mentally and emotionally at the greatest traumatic experience that you had. That's why you could be 35, 45 years old as a person and be 12 and 13 emotionally. Because that moment that broke you, that moment that you've lost all hope and that you just survived it but you never dealt with it, that has become life. That's why you could be married to a woman or a man for years, but they've never dealt with the emotional, mental trauma in their life. And so you really married to a little person, a little boy or a little girl. And God is saying, I want to deal with that. And what I've learned, what my wife and I have learned in marriage is that when, when um, because we've been through it, and I'm not going to use no one else in this example. I'm going to use myself. It's hard work, but it's worth it. Because I learned in marriage, it's not, more, it's not about being happy with one another as much as it's about being more Christ-like. Because when I was married and my wife wanted to divorce me, and I went to my pastor, who was also my discipleship leader at the time, and I said, man, man, she just want to cheat. She just came out of left field. She just want to pack up and go back to her parents. And, and she go back to her parents, and it's definitely over. Because, you know, because if she tell them what's going on, I might as well just sign the papers because there ain't no coming back from that. And he says, he says, Harold, let me tell you something. Let me tell you a secret. He says, marriage was never about y'all being happy. Marriage was about you becoming more like Christ in the areas that you refused to address. I said, oh, man, if I would have known that, we would have never got married. <laughs> but we have to reframe that as an opportunity for God to use us to love us back to maturity. There was moments in my life where the little boy was coming out of me and Cassie had to say, okay, Harold, that's little Harold. That's, that's, that's 12-year-old Harold. Come here, baby. Give me a hug. <laughs> it's going to be all right. Let me rub your back. I just don't know why they don't like me. I tried everything to get along with them at work, and they don't invite me to the after party at the dinner thing. And she said, baby, you don't even drink. Why you want to go drink drinks with them? You don't even drink. It's just, they could at least ask so I give them a chance to say no. <laughs> and she said, it's all right, baby. It's okay. It's okay. Or the time where I triggered the little girl in her because I... I automatically got really defensive 
And it, and it triggered how her relationship was with her father and how she had to tiptoe around everything to the point where she couldn't even ask him to go to the movies unless he was in a good mood. So she had to rehearse her, her, her conversation with her dad ahead of time. And when I triggered that, I had to realize, okay, Lord, you're going to have to uh, help me love her to maturity so that when that happens again, she says, oh, you, you, you're just having a bad day. Okay. Because it takes patience. It takes time. It takes intention. And it takes a lot of, okay, baby, w- w- what you need today? Am I coming off too hard? She said, Harold, I'm trying, but you just need to just lower your tone. Well, that's how me and my family are talking. If you ain't like it, then you better get to getting because I ain't changing my tone. And she said, baby, just, you cannot yell. I'm right here. And I just get passionate. But it took a lot of patience to love each other to maturity. And when you love each other to maturity, you don't just fall in love with each other. You, you, you're more mature to fall in love with Jesus. Amen. And so uh, last thing I would say about doing the work in your relationship and your marriage is something that changed our marriage. We went from wanting divorce to happily married for over 12 years now. It's because we had clapped that up. That's good. <laughs> but um, but the, the Lord, the Lord, she, God, God allowed her to connect with the, with the mature woman who she could share everything that we were dealing with with. And this woman, uh, she knew me and she knew, she saw me how God saw me. And so I trusted that relationship. She was able to say, you know what? Harold, do this one more time. I'm going to bust his head with a skillet. I'm so sick and tired of this boy. And baby, I know you're mad, but you better go on go in there and lay down because you're going to wake up in the morning and feel different. <laughs> and and, and I wasn't afraid of her telling all of my dirt. You know, he had the nerve to say this to me. You know, he had the nerve to do this. And then you come to church and say, mm-hmm, look at him. <laughs> you know, but that never happened because you need people in your life that know you outside of just knowing what you can do, but knowing who you are. And I thank God for that. And the greatest wisdom my wife ever got it's uh, this, this, this same woman, actually, she says, she says, do you believe Harold can hear from God? Yeah, absolutely. I know he can hear from God. He just needs to hear all the time instead of some of the time. Because some of the time, I know he ain't hearing from God. And she says, well, if you know he hears from God and you know he loves God and you know God lives in him, don't trust Harold. You should not trust Harold. You shouldn't believe a word Harold say. Believe the God in Harold. Trust the God in Harold. And let that be your source. And I was like... I like that. You, you ain't got to trust me, but I'm going to keep talking, though. Um, and so we need to do the work in our marriage. And there's a whole uh, replay of a marriage conference. If you need details and tools and resources for that, check that out. Last thing I want to do, close with this. We need to do the work for the next generation. And this is really how, what God is putting on my heart. I'm trying to think of how I'm going to do this. Because it's kind of all over the place, but I'm 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 gonna trust God, Amen. Let's turn to Revelation chapter four, verse six. I was the man when the Lord revealed this to me, man. He had me in a daze for a few weeks to the point. One Sunday, Mama Helen saw me. She says, "Baby, you all right? What the Lord downloading to you? You look perplexed." 
I said, is that obvious? She says, he's saying something because the way you're looking. <laughs> and the Lord was just downloading some stuff to me and I couldn't make sense of it, but I knew it was good. And it came from Revelations and it went somewhere else. But Revelation chapter four, verse six, uh, it says, in front of the throne was a shiny sea of glass sparkling like crystal in the center and around the throne were four living creatures, each covered with eyes front and back. Verse seven is where I want you to pay attention to. The first of these living beings was like a lion. The second was like an ox. The third was like a human face. And the fourth was like an eagle in flight. Each of these living beings had six wings and their wings were covered all around, all over with eyes inside and out. Day after day, night after night, they kept saying, holy, holy. Holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, the, uh, the one who, was, who always was, who is, and who is, who is still to come. Now, there's a lot to unpack there, but, but God first highlighted the number four. And I got 15 minutes to highlight these for you. Number four. The Lord showed me that there's four living creatures, the lion, the ox, the man, the eagle. Four is primary direction, north, east, southwest. Four seasons, spring, summer, winter, fall. Four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Four chambers of the heart. You have the left and right atrium, which is the upper chambers, and you have the left and right visceral, which is the lower chambers. And then this one really tripped me out. The Lord said, look at my name. Look at my name in the Old Testament. I looked at his name. It was four letters. Y, get back to my notes, Y-H-W-H, Yahweh, Y-H-W-H, four letters. So I'm like, okay, Lord, I get it. This, this is four, this is important. Then I learned what the, what the faces of the living creatures represented. Lion is the leader, representing the strength and the power. Ox is the worker, preserving, persevering through anything that's in its way. Man is the humanity side, full of compassion and emotion. And, and the eagle is the spiritual side that is keen on discernment and flowing in the gifts of the spirit. And so the, uh, the Lord began to show me that as mature kingdom believers, we are to flow in all four aspects of who he is and who we are in him. The Lord began to show me that some of us as parents have gotten really good at one or two of these with our children. I'm talking about myself. I'm not talking about nobody in here. I'm talking about myself. Because I'm really good at the lion. Boy, didn't I tell you to clean that room? Oh, I'm really good at the lion. Say it again. Watch what happened. <laughs> oh, I, I love being a lion. Talk to your mama that way. You won't have a mouth to talk with. I love being the lion. I also love the ox. I love working. I'm a workaholic in some aspects recovering, but I'm still there. And when my wife says there's a problem, I go fix it. I'm a workhorse. I love to work. I love to be the lion and lead and, and give orders. And, uh, but I said, oh, I need you to be the humanity side today. There was a point, I'm going to tell you this story. My son, my middle son, Solomon, I'm not going to embarrass you, but I'm going to tell the story. It's because it's, it's embarrassing to me. He, I told him to go upstairs and clean his room. It had been about 30, 40 minutes, and I was venting my frustrations. I said, boy, it don't take this long to sweep no floor and make no bed. What is you up there doing? And, and, and then he just started crying. I said, oh, Lord, this one is, I done told him to clean the room, now I crying. I said, and I was just indignant. I was stomping up the steps like the lion. And I, I bust through that door. And I said, boy, what's wrong? This floor still dirty. This bed ain't made. And he's sitting on the edge of his bed. 
And the Lord says, pay attention to the cry. I said, boy, what you crying for? He said, nuh-uh, you're coming on too hard. Pay attention to the cry. And he wouldn't even talk to me because he feared the lion in me. And so I said, God said, get down on his level. And I got on my knee. I said, son, lift your head. Talk to me. I said, it don't take all this to, for you to clean a room. Why, why are you crying? All I asked you to do was sweep the floor and make your bed. Why is there tears? And he says, and I still get emotional. He says, Dad, I don't know how to sweep. You never taught me how to sweep, but you expect me to sweep my room. And the Lord says, show up compassion, and you teach him how to use a broom. I'm like, how many times have I learned how to figure it out? Because our parents says, go do something, but they ain't never showed you how to do it. And I said, son, come here. Let's, this is how you hold the broom. This is how you get in the corners. And there's a lot of junk and crumbs over there. And I said, then you straw. I said, don't be using them long straw because he's trying to sweep the light. <laughs> I said, no, 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 no. You do a little, little strokes at a time. You know, then you make a pile over here. Then you get over here, you know. Then you make another pile. He said, but dad, why don't I just do one big pile? I said, because then you're going to have dust and dirt all over the atmosphere and stuff. Just do little piles, little piles. Then you go get the dustpan. He said, but why can't I? I said, no, we don't, we don't sweep the dust in the, in the dustpan with the big broom. You got to get the little broom. You know, get the little broom. Sweep that up. Said, okay, okay. So then he said, dad, you want me to go sweep my room? I said, yeah, so I'm going to sweep your room. All right, all right, all right. Here's where, you know how to sweep your room? I can show you. <laughs> and so sometimes we have to be the, 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 the human side, the compassion, the one who has emotion, who's not always barking orders. And then the Lord says, but then you need to let your kids see you flow in the spirit. You got to know how to have discernment. You got, because your son, your kids are lying about everything. And my son came one day, he came in and he was mad at the neighbor. The neighbor's kid, he came in, he said, Mama, guess what the neighbor just said to me? You ain't going to believe this. What'd he say? Oh, he said, I ain't going to tell y'all what he said because they might make parents might be watching. But, and Cassie, I, I said, what that little boy say to you? Oh, no, where's daddy at? And, and Cassie, Cassie says, she says, well, hold, 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 hold on. She said, I don't feel right. Did he really say that? Because if we go out there and act a fool and you lying, they really going to see you be embarrassed. And he said, no, nah, he, just, he just pushed me off the trampoline. I was mad. And I, was, I, didn't, I didn't. She says, no, we don't do that. She said, the Lord showed me that you are lying. And I'm not going to discipline you, but I want you to understand that there's consequences when you tell a lie on someone. And they get punished for something just because you don't feel right about it. And so God says, you got to let your kids see you flow in the spirit, praying for them. My son, my youngest son, Trey, he got in trouble. He got his daddy in him. That's why he Harold McGee III. And um, he was at preschool and he was acting a fool. And um, they called us. They messaged us. I said, I said, look, I'm going to have to go check on this boy. This boy is doing some craziness. He was throwing chairs kicking toys, telling people, leave me alone. And I come in there. I said, what in the world has gotten into this boy? And I said, Trey, you ain't supposed to be here. 
<laughs> and he said, and so I was ready to be lying. Ooh, I was ready to be lying. I said, he about to get it. And the Lord says, no, I need you to be the eagle. I said, he three. Why do I need to be the eagle for? He don't know what I'm doing. He said, you need to be the eagle. And so Trey, at three years old, he said, come here, son. I checked him out, preschool. All the, the, the workers, they thought, oh, he about to get his daddy about to tear his tail up. I said, I'm going to take him for a little bit, and I'm going to bring him back. They said, oh, yeah, go ahead, go ahead. We, we, by all means. <laughs> and I went, and I took Trey in the car, and we drove away from the school. And then we got out, and I said, son, I pray that the Lord open your ears and your mind to comprehend what I'm about to say to you. I said, I bind. Every word curse, I bind. Every false accusation, I bind. Everything that is not like God that has given permission to flow through you. I said, son, this is not who you are. This is not how we raise you. And this is not how you will act. And I said, God, I pray that you send angels to protect him. I pray that you send angels to be with him. I said, God, when he go back in that room, he's going to be a new person because what was on him is no longer on him. And what is in him is you and your spirit. And I said, I said, son, I don't know how much that you understood. But when you go in there, you're going to act right. He said, okay. And I said, and you're going to be who you were called to be. I said, God, I don't know how much of this he understood. But I just feel like there's more at play than him just being a bad kid. And so the Lord says, no, 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 no. You don't discipline right now. You, you let him see the ego side. And so God began to show me. And I'm going to wrap up with this. The four living creatures, they're in heaven. And the 24 elders are seated around the throne. And they're looking at, at, at Jesus. But they're not responding. And the Lord says, you as a parent... You're the four living creatures. Your children in the next generation, they're the 24 elders seated around the throne. They hear what you hear. They see what you see. There's thundering, there's lightning, there's voices, there's music. They hear all that. But they don't respond until they hear the the four living creatures respond. Revelations 4 verses 9 and 10 says it this way. Verse 9 says, whenever the living beings give glory and honor and thanks to the the one sitting on the throne, verse 10, the 24 elders fall down and worship the one sitting on the throne. The Lord was saying to me that we as mature kingdom believers, as parents and spiritual parents, we have to show them. Through what we do, and when they see us living the life, when they see that our personal lives at home match the life that we portray on Sunday morning, when they see that we talk the same way to the McDonald's worker who forgot our barbecue sauce, the same way we talk to pastor, when they see that we are being who God wants us to be, they respond in worship. They respond by casting down their crown, by casting down the things that they hold dear. They say, you know what? I really like this sport. I really like this girl. I really like this boy. But because of your God that I've become to know intimately, I'm going to lay it down. And I'm going to worship God. 
because I know he's real. Not just your God, but he's my God too. And there's a story about David. I'm going to sum this up. David was one who was born in, this, in, in, in dramatic circumstances, in extreme dysfunction. I don't know if y'all know this, but David's mom is not the same mother to his brothers. He says that in Psalm 68. He says, my brothers have abandoned me because my mom has borne me in iniquity. He was born out of wedlock by a woman who, who Jesse was not even married to. And so he was hidden in the field. How many know when your father hides you, shame and rejection is born inside of you? David was taught to reject the uniqueness of who he was because of how his family treated him. But the prophet came to town one day. And the prophet says, I'm on assignment to anoint the next king. And Jesse said, here's my boys that are most likely to succeed in life. Here's my boys that are headed on the right track. And as the, as, as the prophet began to anoint him, he said, oh, it's not the one that go to the Ivy League school. No, that's not him. It's not the one that's in the fraternity that your family has been in all these generations. That's not the one. It's not the one that gets the good grades and got the good looks. That's not him either. He said, is there any other? And Jesse said, the one that I tried to hide, the one that I put away, the one that I didn't have the capacity to love like I love the rest. The one that I didn't want you to know about. That one, he's out in the, in the fields. And he says, bring him in. And, and, and when David came in, he came in thinking he was called to serve. And the prophet said, that's the one. Because that one was the one that God's eyes was on. And some of us in here, we feel like the rejected one. We feel like the one that don't fit in. We feel like the one that has to go through everything by ourselves. Our mom didn't like us. Our fathers dropped us. Our cousins and brothers that had nothing to do with us. But God says, I still dump my oils on the rejected ones. If you would just come to me, I'll dump my oil on the rejected ones. And, and you know, when the oil fell on David, oh, I'm trying to help us in here. When the oil fell on David, he grew and he became a king. But how many know the damage that was done from years of rejection and shame did not change because he was anointed to be king? He had to learn. And so he succeeded and he got up into the palace. And one day he's looking and what opened up inside of him was a pornographic spirit. And he saw something he shouldn't have seen and he desired it. And he desired it so much that he did anything he could to get it. And I believe what was speaking inside of David was an undealt with spirit of rejection, an undealt with spirit of shame, an undealt with spirit of abandonment. And God is saying, I want to deal with that. And he was like, I'm not dealing with it. Matter of fact, he used his success to shame the ones who didn't believe him and, and and sometimes when you have, when you're broken and you have success, you use it as a sword instead of a, a, a hampering hand. And so he had to learn. And so David, he only, he not only sleeps with the woman, he kills her husband. And he's, he's, he's living it up. Because David had other wives. But how many of you know in Proverbs it says stolen water is sweet and bread eaten in private is better. And there was something in David that wanted the hidden thing, that wanted the forbidden thing. And he was willing to do whatever he had to to get it. And he killed her husband. And 
went about his business because that thing was still undealt with him. But how many of you know God sent the prophet Nathan? God sent the prophet Nathan. And Nathan, had, he was in prayer. And in my mind, I hope you don't mind me using it. In my mind, Nathan was, 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 was Pastor Ed. Pastor Ed was praying. And Nathan was praying. And, and the Lord gave him a download. He says, hey, look, son, something ain't right with David's line. Something is going on. Something is shifting in his bloodline. Something is shifting in his household. And I need you to go give a word to, to David. And Nathan, and, 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 you, and in my mind, David is writing some songs. Yes, Jesus loves me. And he's writing this music. And old bald head Nathan come. He said, he said, hey, David, doing all right? How's things going? Oh, yes, you know, Pastor, I'm blessed and highly favored, writing songs to Jesus. And he says, let, he says, let, let, me, let me holler at you. Come here, let me tell you a story. He said, man, it was this man, right? He slept with this woman and then killed her husband. And, and, and then he acted like it never happened. And, and David, in my mind, did like a lot of us do when, when, when we feel a painful, when we hear a painful word. We say, all right, just play it off. Act like it ain't you. Just play it off. You know, he'll go on. He, Pastor Ed, I mean, uh, Nathan, will, will, he'll, he'll go on about his business if I just play along with it. And then David said, man, that's really messed up. I hope something happened to that guy because he shouldn't get away with that. And then Nathan, the prophet, the counselor, said, no, David, it's you. No, David, it's you. It's not Jesse no more. It's you. It's not Bathsheba no more. It's you. It's not your brothers. It's not King Saul. It's not none of them. It's you. And you need to take responsibility for your own hurt, for your own damage, for your own mental issues that you refuse to confront. You need to own it and deal with it and do the work. And David... He says, you know what, you're right. And when David took responsibility, it put him in a position to repent. Because you cannot repent and be irresponsible. It's impossible. You can't repent and not take ownership for the thing that you repent for. That's an oxymoron. And so when you take ownership of your own mental damage, you release the power of repentance. And when David owned up to his own mental turmoil, when David owned up to his own abandonment, his own shame, his own guilt, his own issues, he penned Psalms 51. He penned Psalms 51. And this is how I want to close. He penned Psalms 61, 51, and he says... Let me pull it up. I'm sorry. Uh, can I get something? Yes, thank you. He said, have mercy, not upon Jesse. Have mercy, not upon Bathsheba. Have mercy, not upon my brothers who didn't like me. Have mercy not upon Saul who did me wrong and I still submitted to him. No, he said, have mercy on me, O God, 
according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies. He says, God, blot out my transgressions. He says, sweep away all the stuff that's still in there. He says, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. He says, God, I need to be forgiven. But my favorite part is, he said, God, I'm ready to take ownership. He said, against you, mm. against you, God, I know I did a lot of wrong, but against you, God, I know a lot of people's feelings hurt, but against you, God, I know some people don't like this, but against you, you're the only one that I've offended. I know people don't like it. I know people are afraid of it. I know people mad at my success. I know people mad that I hit it. He says, but I don't know anyone else but you. You alone have I sinned. And then the best part, he says, and I, he, he, he says, in my mind, he says, Lord, you could take the car, you could take the woman, you could take this job, you could take my title. God, you could take the 401k, you could take it all. You could take the church, you could take the ministry, you could take everything. He said, but one thing I want you can't take from me. You don't take your Holy Ghost away from me. He said, because if I get in trouble again, if I do this again, if I fall away again, if I get in the wrong situation again, I need a counselor. I need a helper. I need an intervener. I need someone that's going to tell me. He says, I need your Holy Spirit to counsel me. I don't care if you send it through your word. I don't care if you send it to Pastor Michael. I don't care if you send it through the person that's sitting on the throat row behind me that's always amen to me and don't even know me. Whoever you use, Lord, don't take your Holy Spirit away from me because at some point I'm going to need its counsel. And so I leave you with this. If God is speaking to you like Pastor Michael has said, and you realize it's okay to get counsel. It's okay to surrender. It's okay to let this go so that I could be the one that God wants me to be. I want to open the altar to you. I want to invite the prayer teams to come up, and I want you, uh, because God has given me a word for those who can receive this message. But before I give you the word, I want you to respond to this word. And so, if we're all standing, go ahead and stand up. God is doing a work in this house. God is doing an amazing work in this house. And we will be a people who are in our right minds. My dad used to say, boy, I'm blessed, highly favored, and in my right mind. And God wants you to be free. He wants you to be free and he wants you to be whole. So if that's you, I want to pray a prayer of blessing over you for responding to this message. And I'm going to share what the Lord shared. The three points was do the work in your own life, do the work in your marriage and relationships, and do the work for the next generation. I was praying for this message and I was asking God for a powerful word uh, to share. And God says, for those who are willing to do the work, 
the things that you've been needing outside of yourself to be yourself will no longer be needed. What does that mean? You feel like you couldn't be who you are without another substance. Whether that's NyQuil, whether that's wine, whether that's drugs, whether that's women, whether that's men, whatever is outside of you that allows you to be you, God said that's not the real you. And when you respond, I will remove the things that you've been dependent on so that you can depend on me. And then the next thing he said is that he's putting his name on you. He's putting his name on you. One thing I didn't share in my story was when my brother and I was born, my dad was married to another woman and had a whole other family. And we really didn't see him but on holidays. But one day my dad got arrested and he went to prison. And he surrendered his life in a prison jail cell. And when he got out, I was in high school. Well, he got out when I was in middle school, but this happened in high school. He finally divorced his wife, who was addicted to drugs and very serious situation, and he married my mother. I saw a man who physically slammed my mom through a kitchen table, and God transformed him. And I seen them get married and heal that relationship. But that's not even the best part. The best part is he took my brother and I to the courthouse and he gave us his last name. That was the best moment of my life. And God is saying, you're suffering and you're going through it in, 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 in secret and in darkness. He says, but if you will respond to what I'm calling you to respond to, I will take you, and I won't just take you, I will snatch you out of that situation, out of that addiction, out of that relationship, out of that circumstance. I will snatch you out of it, and I will bring you into the courts of heaven and put my name on you. I'm going to put my name on you. You will no longer be known as what you was addicted to. You will no longer be known as what you had to have, but you will be known by my name. He says, put my name on the situation and I will put my name on you. Put the Lord's name on whatever it is that you're dealing with. He will take you and put his name on you. The last thing is that I'm just going to be obedient. I just feel the Lord saying that there's some people who says, you know what, I've tried this before. I've tried to give it up before. I've tried deliverance before. I've tried counseling. I've tried all these, these groups. I've tried it, and I'm still bound. I believe the Lord would say, but this time will be different. And here's why. When you respond to your father, all of heaven is behind you. When you respond to what God is calling you to do, all of heaven is behind you. And God is saying, this time, it will be different. If I can have all the young people come to the, to the, to the altar real quick. 
Since the grown folks don't want nothing to come, young people, come on up. Come on up. I can make y'all do stuff. Come on up. If you're under the age of 18, you don't have a right to say no. Come on up. Come on up. Here's why. I believe this, not just because I'm a youth pastor, but I believe this is the heart of God. God is about to demonstrate his power with our youth. And I, I got excited because y'all don't understand. Y'all don't understand. There's a mental and emotional attack on our young folks. I had kids in the school. I had kids at the detention center. I have kids in the military. And I have some of your own kids in this small group that come up to me and say, Pastor Harold, I hate myself. Pastor Harold, I don't want to live anymore. Pastor Harold, I don't like, I don't even have friends. And God is saying, this is not what I want for them. But the reason the enemy is attacking you all so hard is because he's about to release his spirit and his power in a way that will compel a whole generation to respond to his gospel message. We're going to say this and I'm going to pray. The Lord has been dealing with me. He says, this generation... He's given them authority to confront, look at me, he's given you authority to confront everything the, pre- the prior generations ignored and was afraid to confront. You're going to confront it with boldness and sincerity and because of your obedience, he's going to bless everything you touch. This generation will lack for nothing because they will be afraid of nothing. I'm going to say that again. This generation will lack for nothing because they will be afraid of nothing. They won't be afraid of other people's opinion. They won't be afraid of what the school people say. They won't be afraid of the person sitting next to them at church. This generation will flow in boldness. So stretch out your hand as we proclaim the word of the Lord upon our children. God, I bless this generation. God, I pray a, prophet, a prophetic decree over our seed, over our children. God, you're raising up the spiritual mothers and spiritual fathers that will take them, that you say your word says, I place the orphan in families, and you place this generation in a house that will love them, that will nurture them, that will disciple them, that will show them, that will give room for them, that will allow them to demonstrate the honor hindered power of God you don't understand this is real for me I went from seeing my son not even know not even want to come to church not even want to worship not even want to read his word and then he says he says dad we haven't read our Bible today when we gonna read our Bible he says dad I don't like to do all that stuff that the other kids do, but uh, this is my favorite song. Can you play that again? There's an authenticity that's been released in this generation that they don't care how you model it. They're going to respond in their way to the king. When we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, one thing I forgot to say, before leaving creatures, they move according to the spirit, but they never take their eyes off the king. So they got four directions. 
If he say go forward, he, they go forward. If he say come back, they go back. They go this way, he say go this way. When he say go that way, they go that way. But they focus and stay on the king. And when these people, when these children see you become focused and intentional about serving and honoring and loving God, they will respond in their own way, but they will respond in worship. God, I thank you for this generation. I thank you for this word. I thank you for this house. I thank you that you are doing a work and you are faithful to see it to completion. Lord, we love you. We thank you. We bless you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening today. Be sure to check out our podcast weekly, subscribe to our YouTube channel, and follow us on Facebook and Instagram. You can visit PurposeHouseChurch.org to find out more information about Purpose House Church. Be sure to join us right here next week.